welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father, through Jesus Christ, his Son, our Savior. Amen. Where do you look for the answers to the big questions of life? No, I don't mean where am I going to find a, you know, a, a dress for my cousin's wedding this summer. I know for some of you that may be a really big deal, but that's not what I mean. Also, I don't mean will the Cubs finally win the World Series this year. I know for some of you that's a really big deal too, but that's not what I mean. What I mean are the really big questions of life. Like, where do I come from? Is there a God? Is there life after death? How can I be in a right relationship with God? Where do you look for answers to questions like that? You look to Google? You know, you pull out your, your computer and do a Google search? Do you ask Siri? Do you look to Time Magazine or the Wall Street Journal? Do you look to someone really smart like Stephen Hawking or Edward Witten? Do you look to the Bible or Jesus? For many people, the Bible or Jesus would probably be the last place they would look. See, they're rather skeptical of the Bible. The way they look at the Bible and Jesus, you know, they see the Bible as being obsolete and outdated, and Jesus is just another one of those ancient philosophers or ancient religious leaders, and, and they dismiss what he says as being relevant to life in the 21st century. People have often been rather skeptical of the Bible and Jesus. Maybe you have been at, at times too. This morning, we're going to look at a man who was rather skeptical of Jesus, at least at first, but who later became one of Jesus' 12 disciples, a man by the name of Nathaniel. His encounter with Jesus is recorded for us in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, beginning at verse 43. If you'd like to follow along with these verses, they are printed out in your service folder. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. 
Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. John begins his gospel with a, a prologue of sorts, really remarkable prologue in which he introduces Jesus as the Logos, a term that he borrowed from Greek philosophy. See, back in John's day, Greek people thought that the universe had a certain moral or rational order to it, and this order in nature they referred to as the Logos. For Greeks, the meaning of life was to contemplate this, this Logos, and then to, to live your life according to it. John takes this Greek idea, this Greek term, this logos, and applies it to Jesus. Jesus is the logos, he says. Jesus is the reason this universe exists. He is the one who gives order to our universe and meaning to our lives. Jesus is the Logos. So the purpose of life is not to contemplate some philosophical idea, but to know a person. A person who actually came and lived here in this world and whom we can know in a personal way. And then as chapter 1 of John's Gospel continues, we see people doing that very thing. Establishing a relationship with Jesus by becoming his disciples. Disciple was a student, but not in the typical sense you and I think of. Back in John's day, there weren't very many universities, so students didn't go to the university. Rather, if they wanted to learn under a particular teacher, they would just go and follow that teacher. They would follow him wherever he went, and, and he would just teach them wherever they went. One such teacher back in John's day was a man by the name of John the Baptist, and he had gathered quite a following already among the Jewish people. But lately, John had been directing people to follow Jesus instead, identifying that Jesus was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Among the people that John had directed to Jesus was John, the author of, our, of this gospel. Also, Peter and his brother Andrew. And now, Philip. See, Jesus was getting ready to leave and go back to Galilee. And, and before he did, he, he called another man to be one of his followers, one of his students. A man named Philip, who was Nathaniel's brother. After talking with Jesus, Philip was so excited. He just had to tell his brother. So he went and found him and said, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, guess what? We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the pro prophets also wrote. 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And notice Nathanael's response. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? People of Jerusalem looked down on the people of Galilee. They saw them as hicks and hayseeds, uneducated, unrefined. Who knows, maybe they even shopped at Walmart. Well, that's pretty typical of us humans, isn't it? People from one town or one part of town often look down on people from another town or another part of town. There's always those people who, you know, grew up in the wrong neighborhood or on the wrong side of the tracks, right? So what do those people do, the ones who are looked down on? They look for others they can look down on. So the people of Jerusalem, they look down on the people from Galilee. And the people from Galilee, like Nathaniel, they look down on the people from Nazareth. They were the real hicks, the real hayseeds. They probably didn't even have a Walmart. That's how backward they were. Philip, you, you're telling me that you found the Messiah, the one, you know, Savior promised to us in the Scriptures, and you're telling me he's from Nazareth? You're kidding me, right? Many people look at Christianity the same way. They view Christianity the same way Nathaniel viewed Jesus. Old, obsolete, outdated, irrelevant, not even worthy of our, our serious consideration. Maybe you've done that yourself a time or two. So I urge you not to be quite so dismissive. Or if this is a, a friend of yours or a co-worker or a neighbor, encourage them not to be quite so dismissive. After all, the Bible does provide answers to those big questions. In fact, let's look at a few. Let's look at some of the, the answers that the Bible provides to some of those big questions of life and compare them to the answers provided by evolution and atheistic philosophy today. So first of all, where do I come from? Well, the Bible says that God created the world and the universe and he gave, gave us life. According to evolution, this world came about as a result of, by chance, by some gigantic explosion that happened billions of years ago, and your life is just an accident. How about the next question? How about the meaning of life? Is there meaning? Is there purpose in life? Well, again, according to the Bible, there is. Your life is your opportunity to come to know this God who made you and to come to know His Son, Jesus Christ, so that you might have forgiveness for your sins and eternal life in heaven. And once you come to know Him, then your life is your, your chance to, to serve Him and honor and, and, and thank Him for all that He has done for you. According to evolution, there is no real purpose to your life. Your life is just an accident. There is no real meaning to it. It's just 
survive, you know, survival of the fittest. Live your life the way you want. That's all that matters. How about life after death? Is there such a thing as life after death? Well, again, the Bible says yes, there is. And when you die, either you go to heaven or hell, depending upon your relationship with Jesus. According to evolution, there is no life after death. So you might as well, you know, enjoy life and have as much fun as you can while you can, because once it's over, it's over. Now, I don't know about you, but as I compare those two, look at the answers that they give, I find that the answers that the Bible gives a lot more inspiring and encouraging and and meaningful than the answers provided by evolution and atheistic philosophy. In fact, I find the, the answers from evolution rather empty. Besides that, whether you realize it or not, many of the, the values that we hold dear in our society are based on biblical teaching. Every life is important. Every life has value. Where does that come from? Does that come from the tenets of evolution? No. Not at all. According to evolution, your, your life really doesn't have any intris, intrinsic meaning or worth. No. You're just here. It's just an accident. According to the Bible, though, your life does have intrinsic value because God gave you life. How about the value that we are to love other people? That we are be, to be loving and accepting of all people? Is that found in evolutionary thought? You no. Know. According to evolution, there is no moral obligation to love others. It's survival of the fittest. You are the only one you need to be concerned about. You're the only one that you really need to love. I watch out for myself, you watch out for yourself, and you know, if the two of us don't particularly like each other, so what? Tough toenails. Again, according to the Bible, we are to love one another. In fact, we're even to love our enemies. Or how about the value of helping the poor and needy? Does that come from evolution? Not at all. Again, according to evolution, it's survival of the fittest. In fact, according to evolution, the strong eat the weak, right? The strong eat the weak. That's how evolution works. That's how the process works. That's how the species, you know, continue to survive and continue to evolve. In fact, according to evolution then, instead of helping the poor and needy, I should really take from the poor and needy so I can better myself and, and the life of my family. But the Bible gives a very different answer. The Bible says that we are to help those in need. So would you really 
like to just throw all of those values out? I wouldn't. And if not, then maybe, maybe you shouldn't be quite so quick to dismiss the Bible and Christianity. Maybe like Nathaniel, it might be, might be worth your while to take a closer look. So even though Nathaniel was a bit skeptical of, of Jesus, because he was from that hick town of Nazareth, at his brother's urging, he did at least you know, go and meet him and find out more. And what he discovered blew him away. Just blew him away. As Nathaniel approached, Jesus said, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How, how do you know me? Nathaniel replied, a bit taken aback. And then Jesus re revealed something more. He, said, he answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. How could Jesus know that? How could Jesus know what kind of person Nathaniel was? That he was a, a straight shooter. And he was the kind of guy who didn't like playing head games with other people. Just like being straight and up front, telling people, you know, telling it like it is. How could he know that about Nathaniel? And how could he know what he was doing before Philip came and got him? That he actually had been sitting under a fig tree. There's no way Jesus could know things like that. Unless, unless he's God. So is that the real reason you've been pushing Jesus aside all these years? Is that the real reason that you've been dismissive of Christianity and not being willing to give Jesus an honest look? Because all this talk about God, all this talk about a, an all-knowing and all-powerful supreme being, a God who made the heavens and the earth and everything in them, a God who gave you life, that all this talk about God makes you uncomfortable? Is that the real reason? I can understand why it might make you uncomfortable. Because it makes me uncomfortable too. You see, if there really is a God, like the Bible says, if there really is a God who created everything, who made the heavens and the earth and the stars, a, a God who gave life to you and me, if there really is a God like that, then He really does know you. He knows everything about you. He knows your personality, for example. He knows if you're an honest Abe like Nathaniel or a dishonest crook like many of the politicians here in Illinois. He knows if you're an honest student or one who likes to cheat. He knows if you're the kind of person who likes to just tell it like it is or a person who lies through his teeth. He knows if you're an honest and dependable employee or one who can't be trusted to, 
to do things right. And he also knows where you've been. He knows if you've been sitting under a fig tree or in front of an HDTV. In fact, he saw you while you were sitting in front of your HDTV. And he saw what you were watching, too. He saw you when you were sitting in front of your computer, and he saw what you were looking at, too. He saw you when you were out with your friends. He saw you when you were out on that date with your boyfriend or girlfriend. He saw you when you were out at the bar the other night. He knows every place you've been and everything you've done. He knows everything. Does that make you uncomfortable? It does me. Because you see, if God knows me so well, then, well, He knows the good things I've done. He knows about all the times I've been good and kind and helpful to other people. He, he knows all the people I've helped, all the money I've donated to charity, all the time I've donated at, and volunteered at church and at other places. He knows all that. But if God knows me so well, then He also knows all the bad things I've done. All the times I wasn't very good and kind and helpful to others. All the times I hurt others and took advantage of others and lied to others. He knows about my sins. And here's the problem with sin. Sin separates a person from God. God is holy and pure and, and sinless. And if we're going to live with Him in heaven someday, then we need to be holy and pure and sinless. The problem is we're not. In the eyes of God, we're like a bunch of broken eggs, broken on the inside because of our sins. When you go to the store and get a carton of eggs, do you ever open the carton of eggs to see if there are any cracked eggs inside? And, it, and if you do, if, if you find any cracked eggs, do you take that carton and still you know, put it in your cart or you take that carton and put it back and then take a different carton? You, you put it back and take a different carton, don't you? Why? Because you don't want a bunch of cracked eggs. You want good eggs. And besides, you don't want those cracked eggs making a mess all over inside your grocery bag. Or worse yet, all over inside your refrigerator at home. You suppose God wants a bunch of cracked eggs making a mess all over inside his glorious and perfect home in heaven? We've already made an awful mess of this world of ours. Do you suppose he wants us to do the same to his place? Because of our sins, you and I are separated from God. Doomed to be left behind in the grocery store and ultimately to end up in the garbage dump of hell. But don't check out on me yet. Don't dismiss Jesus because that's not the end of the story. It's not all that the Bible tells us about God. 
Yes, the Bible tells us that God is holy and just and pure, that He cannot stand sin and will not let the guilty go unpunished. But it also tells us that He is a God of love and mercy, a God of incredible love and amazing grace, God who loved us so much that he, he, he sent His own Son into this world to be our Savior, to rescue us from sin and death, to, to bridge this gap between us and to bring us back into a right relationship with Him. And that's the very thing we see at the end of this story. When Nathaniel heard these starting, startling revelations about himself, he was convinced. He was convinced that Jesus really was the Messiah, the promised Savior. And he said so. He said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And then Jesus said this, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus here is actually referring to a story in the Old Testament, the story of Jacob's dream. If you remember that story, you may remember that Jacob was fleeing from home and on his way to his uncle Laban's house. Along the way, he stopped for the night at a place called Bethel where he laid down to sleep. And during the night, he had a dream. In his dream, he saw this, this stairway reaching from the earth all the way up to heaven. He saw the angels of God ascending and descending on that stairway. And there, there, at the very top, he saw God himself. But do you notice what Jesus added to that picture? He is the stairway. He is the connection between heaven and earth. He is the, the bridge between us and God. You see, there is a way to be in a right relationship with God again. There is a way to restore our connection with God so that we might live with Him one day in heaven. And that, that way is Jesus. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who, who came into this world to reveal who God is and what He is like. Jesus is the Son of God who came into this world to be our Savior, to rescue us from our sins by giving His own life in payment for those sins. Jesus is the Son of God who, who came into this world to restore our broken relationship, to bring us back into a right relationship with God. He is the one who came into this world to make things right between us and God so that we might live forever with God in His heavenly home. Jesus. Jesus is the way. As He Himself once said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're looking for answers to the big questions of life, if you're looking for meaning in life and how you can be right with God, I, I urge you to set aside your skepticism and to take a closer look at Jesus. Like Nathaniel, you'll discover that he's so much more than, 
a teacher from that rural backwards village of Nazareth. He's the Son of God. And He's the way, the bridge to God and to eternal life in heaven. Amen.